0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to episode 34 of 100 x Secrets, where I document my journey uncovering the secrets to explosive business growth and market domination. Building a billion dollar business is my goal, and you're going to see how I do it. So today, I'm very excited to share with you an interview that I got to have with Dr. Wesley Sein from Cornell University. I was at Aspen Grove, a summer camp that BYU, Brigham Young University holds. It's for family reunions. And I was a counselor there and I was working with the teenagers. And so Wesley Sign's daughter was in my group. And so when my co-counselor and I were introducing ourselves and sharing what we love, I said that I love entrepreneurship and I have a podcast and and I am studying business at BYU. And so later in the week, she his daughter comes up to me and she tells me that her dad works at Cornell university and he's kind of a big deal. (laughs) Um, actually I was, uh, I was swimming in the morning and one of his, uh, I think his brother-in-law, uh, we were having the same conversation about my interest in things. And, and it was funny. We were just like in the, in the pool room. Uh, and I, he asked me what I'm studying at BYU. I told him entrepreneurship and, and he was like, Oh man, have you talked to Wesley sign yet? He's like, this guy is world renowned. He's like a big deal. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, Oh, that's so awesome. Like I'm, you know, I'd love to talk to him. And so anyway, so I, his, uh, Dr. Sein's daughter set me up an interview with him. She introduced me to him and he was like, yeah, totally. Like let's, let's, you know, I, when do you want to do it? So before lunch one day we sat down and talked about the interview and then he gave me, you know, 35 minutes of his time and I was so grateful and so To tell you a little bit about him really quick, he's an entrepreneurship professor at Cornell University. He's the founding director of the Entrepreneurship and Innovation Institute there at the school. And he leads what are called hackathons. And so students from all different majors come together and they create business ideas. And then those business ideas are judged by a panel of judges based on how likely those judges feel like the businesses, the ideas are to succeed. And so I have a couple of takeaways that I wanna share with you so that you can look forward to as you listen to the interview. One, the importance of making a team and how to do that. He said that that solo entrepreneurs never succeed to the extent that massive businesses succeed. He said, you always have to have a team. He said, he also talked about the importance of networking as an entrepreneur. He said that as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, your responsibility to your company and to your team is to bring the resources together that they need. So whether that's, um, the people, the outside expertise, whether that's specialized knowledge, and uh, whether that's funding. And so he said that your role as an entrepreneur and as a, as a CEO is to network so that you can give your team what they need. And then the last thing that I want you to look for and that I loved was, uh, the impact that he said using organizational charts, to map out all of the responsibilities of a specific each specific individual in your business, and the power that that can have in accelerating the growth of your business, he said that they did a, a, a scientific experiment um, in Peru where they gave they instructed some businesses on how to use this organizational chart system, and then they let others be the control group, and they said that the businesses that consistently used the organizational charts doubled their growth rate. And so like big idea, big deal. And so I'm excited for you to learn all of this from Wesley Sign himself. Also last thing, I wanted to apologize for the audio quality here. I made the mistake of recording next to some other families that were having lunch, but I want you to pay attention to what he teaches here because it's some super quality stuff. Do you feel like there are universal entrepreneurship principles that apply to business owners everywhere all around the world?
1: Yes, definitely. So I'd like to start by just um, clarifying an entrepreneurial myth. The myth is often in the US that there is such a thing as an individual entrepreneur that by him or herself, they are successful. This doesn't happen. There are entrepreneurial teams, There are people that work with their relationships and and via those relationships, they get things done. They create products and services that make a big difference. But the idea of a standalone, super creative that does everything him or herself, just doesn't happen. So in this, uh, one of the biggest studies done on the internet sector, we found that the biggest predictor of failure for the early internet sector, that is the first 20 years of the internet industry, um, was whether or not the founder or the founding team consisted of one person that is a sole entrepreneur or a complete team of five or six people. And we found that the bigger the team, the better the organization did long-term, the faster it grew up to a point. After seven people, the, the cost of having additional team members was higher than the benefit. But having a teen of one person almost universally resulted in failure. It never worked. Or maybe one or two cases. They never they never grew. I mean that you can see a mom or like a, a small store or a nail salon with one person, maybe. but you're not going to grow with one person. You need people with complementary skills, and you need um, people who will specialize in different things. If you really want to grow, because one person can't do it all. That makes sense. Uh, so the second uh, universal skill. So the first was team. The entrepreneurship is about team. And if you don't have the team right, you'll miss opportunities because you won't be able to even see the opportunities if you don't have people with the right background. A great study done by Scott Shane when he was at MIT showed that um, great opportunities are typically identified by people who have the right experience that is aligned with a novel set of resources. So in this case, he looked at 3D printing, and he showed that all the early companies started around 3D printing, which you know, there's a multi, now is a multi-billion dollar industry, were uh, started by people who had very specific industry experience and could thus see um, particular uses for 3D printing that most people could not. Mm-hmm. For example, one of my favorite companies that didn't make a ton of money but made a sufficient money was 3, 3D, 3D printing of skulls. A lot of humans have brain surgeries. When you have a brain surgery, you've got to replace the skull. In the past, they would just save the bone in, your, in the patient's stomach, which resulted in lots of infection and really a lot of problems. Now they just take a x-ray or scan of the, brain, of the opening in the skull, and they print out an exact replica solve so many medical problems and the amount of money they charge for that tiny piece of plastic Mm. is huge you're talking about three four five ten thousand dollars for a piece of plastic that the materials cost maybe a dollar fifty the margin is amazing but more importantly this has helped so many lives it saved people's lives it's it's reduced the likelihood of infection after these surgeon surgeries by 70 80 percent I mean, it's really made a huge positive impact. Point being, two points I just made. One, team matters a lot. I'm gonna go into how team matters in a moment. And then two, it's not just team, it's the diversity of people on the team. It's the heterogeneity of experiences on the team that allows the team to even see um, possibilities or even see um, opportunities. So I do a lot of hackathons at Cornell. What we found in our hackathons is that teams that are more diverse, they consider a greater set of ideas, a more diverse set of ideas, a greater number of ideas. And then are able to pick better ideas because by having a greater set of diverse ideas, they're able then to take those ideas and merge them in different kinds of ways to create ideas that no single individual in the team could ever come up by themselves because they don't have this experience when you have say six people with really different experiences and they start looking at possibilities you now come up with both opportunities for making change but also novel kinds of solutions that no individual would ever come up with alone so heterogeneity and diversity of teams so so first principle team. Second principle is what kind of team? A diverse team. Teams that don't naturally form. Because again, we're trying to come up with sustainable competitive advantages. right? So anyone can start a business. That's not hard. Starting a business that grows is hard. Growth requires that you create value in a way that's different than everyone else. You can't do that, then someone else will do it. You won't really compete. You won't grow very quickly. So how do you compete? You need a set of people on your team that in their combination is quite different than all the other teams you're competing against. So as human beings, homophily is our standard course of action. We all look for people like us, we we hang out with people like us from our same religion, our same background, our same educational background, same nationality. Mechanical engineers like to be with mechanical engineers, scientists like to be with scientists, business students like to be with business students. So when you put all these same kinds of people together, they come up with very, uh, a very narrow range of ideas of both how to create value, that is what opportunities to exploit, and then what solutions to use in those, uh, to address those opportunities. Point being, you want to create a team that wouldn't naturally form because everybody's so different it wouldn't naturally happen because the net na- you'll be competing with mostly teams that naturally form. That is brother, sister, teams. The most common team is a husband-wife team, right? Teams that form because of similarity. And those are the kinds of teams that don't necessarily create very novel ideas. So team is super important. Now, third issue on teams is if, okay, so Wes, Professor Sign, you're saying, we should start, create a team that's really different. But isn't that gonna result in us fighting a lot? Absolutely. In fact, really different teams are gonna experience much more conflict and are more likely to fall apart. Well then, why am I telling you to do something that's gonna increase the risk of you falling apart as a team? Because if if you can handle the tension, if you can handle the conflict, that team has the possibility of creating solutions that more homogeneous teams could ever do. And that will give you a strategic competitive advantage. So team is super important. You want heterogeneity. And then third, to hold the team together, you need homogeneity of values. So I'm telling you opposite things. You want very diverse teams, but teams that are not diverse in terms of core values. Like a marriage, you stay together because of core values. You fight because of not important things, but the core values, if you have the same core values, you'll stay together forever. Now, same with the team. If you're all trying to accomplish the same thing, it may be um, change in society. It may be um, starting a particular kind of organization. It may be um, living in a particular location, but having some set of values that are core that everyone agrees on, particularly honesty how you treat your customers, those are most important. If you get those wrong, not only will your company fail, but you'll fight a lot over the most important things. So when we first started doing these hackathons, uh, what we found is teams usually formed around similarity. After that, what we started doing is having people pitch to the rest of the, these would be like two or three hundred people, we say, okay, everybody form teams. We're like, how do we form teams? So Naturally people start forming teams with other people they knew and to increase the diversity of the team We started having people go to the front of the Hackathon and tell people about their interests and so you get like a really bright engineer that would go up and say look I really like working on drones. I want to start a company that uses drones to solve problems And so then people with interest in drones would then come to that person and He would be able to form a team or she would be able to form a team that was bigger than one person, that's important, but that there's connection, similarity in what they wanted to do. But what we found is those teams didn't do the best. Why? Because they were formed on a false premise. Not false premise is that the best teams are unified based on interest in the, um, in the solution. But the, the reason that is not a great way to go is because the best solutions will be found by people, various people coming from different backgrounds. And if a team forms around the solution, you're probably going to get a bunch of people from the same background. That's usually what happens. And then it also means that the team is forming around the opportunity. So instead of leveraging the expertise of the team to identify the best opportunity, you have one person going up in front of everyone, and that person identifying the opportunity. And That is a very limited way to look at opportunity identification. So now, what I tell the students is, you know, form your teams around diversity. That is, work together with other members of the class to form a team that's very, very different, where people on the team are very different from each other. So you form around diversity. It's very hard to do. It's really hard in a class setting because students only want to be with people that they like, that are similar to them. Maybe that are good looking like they are, or ugly like they are, or in the same major. And it, it's hard to get students to go out and looking for differences. But that is key. So if you, first, So A, if you can create a team that is different in terms of skill sets and backgrounds. And some people think difference in background is best signaled by the color of your skin. I have found that not to be true empirically. Difference in backgrounds comes from lots of signals. It could be major, it could be you come from a one parent home, a two parent home, are you from Mongolia, are you from Ethiopia, where are you from? Where have you lived your life? What kinds of jobs have you taken? Now it's clearly easier to classify team diversity by skin color. Because then you just look around and find people with different skin colors. But it's not clear, and it doesn't seem to be the case that skin color is the best reflection of different backgrounds. It's a reflection of of a difference, but maybe not the deepest reflection. If you think about diversity, there's deep diversity. This is who you are as a person. This is what you know, your knowledge, skills, and abilities. But there's also diversity in how you were raised, diversity in where you've worked, diversity in the skill sets that you've studied in school. So all these. Um, Levels of diversity matter. When you're building product, you probably want to pay attention to diversity in skill sets. Right? So uh, in our hackathons now, we require every team to have a programmer. In our vet, we have a veterinarian hackathon. So every team has to have one vet, one business student, one engineer. And we don't care who they are. We tell the teams, you guys go out, self-form, make sure you've got to have this level of diversity. You, got, you can't be all the same gender because half of the buyers in the country are men; the other half are women. If you're all one or the other, you're going to miss half the customers. So it cannot be. We, we just don't allow um, single gender teams anymore, and we don't uh, we don't allow single profession that is single areas of study um, teams anymore either. Just because they underperform so much, and more importantly, as an academic institution, the learning on those teams is. Uh, much lower than the learning on teams where everybody brings something to the table, something different to the table. Okay, so team diversity is super important. But we also talk about team homogene- homogeneity that's important. That is, you need to have something that holds the team together. My data on these hackathons suggests that <clears throat> teams that are socially focused come up with better ideas than teams that are now, what do you mean, Professor Signed by better ideas? Ideas that by judges, professional judges, they deem these ideas are more likely to be successful. So uh, it could be, and it's probably true, that judges are going to, and there's evidence that suggests this, that teams that are socially oriented, they're gonna see their opportunities as more important and their solutions as higher quality. But that's important to know, because if you're trying to get money from investors, knowing that having a social component increases the level of quality they see in your um, solution, that's really important to know. So, um, some of the best teams are teams that form because they have similar social um, foci. That is, they're like, we want to change the world. But often I see really good teams form because they'll say, look, I want to learn and I want to be with a group of people that also want to learn. My goal is to create the best team first, and then we'll see what opportunities we identify next to Let the whole team this we decide we'll use the knowledge of everyone to identify the most important opportunities to make a difference, and then use everybody's expertise on the team to identify what it is we should do as a solution for that problem. So those are the teams that do the best in life and in hackathon. Okay, now let's talk about individuals. So the first myth was that there is such a thing as a successful entrepreneur. There's really no such thing. There's successful entrepreneurial teams. That might be husband-wife teams. That might be brother-sister teams. But the sole hero entrepreneur is a myth of the past. It just doesn't exist. Elon Musk was not a single guy that did it all himself. He still doesn't do it by himself. All great entrepreneurs. Okay, Second, and it's related, and that is the best predictor of your ability to be innovative as an individual, your ability to be creative as an individual, is your network. So you need to have not just a diverse team, you need to have a diverse network, you as an individual. The ability of you as an individual to contribute to your team will be highly linked to your social network, who you interact with every day of the week, who you can call for help, who you can call for advice. So now, wherever I am in the world and I'm teaching entrepreneurship, second principle I teach people is networking. Everywhere in the world, this matters. I've never found a place in the world doesn't matter. It matters more outside the U.S., it seems. But there's a lot of studies that show definitively that in the U.S., networking is absolutely essential. In fact, I teach my classes, networking is the first principle of entrepreneurship. That's the job of the entrepreneur. If you're the CEO of the new venture, your job is to go out there and put together the network that will give your team the resources it needs to be successful. When I use the terms resources, I mean money, but I also mean ideas, knowledge. You know, like the three-dimensional printing study I told you about. Scott Shane wrote this about MIT, um, because that's where 3D printing (coughs) was first. Um, patented. What Scott found was that the people that um, that found the ideas for the first 3D printing companies were people like I said before that had very specific backgrounds. but every one of them were people who had a network to MIT. Nobody that first five years started a 3D printing company that did not know someone at MIT. Why? Because how would you know three D printing even existed? This is early stage research that existed only in the laboratories of MIT, and they owned the patent. Oh, wow. Unless you're reading patents every day for fun, you wouldn't know. So the only people in the world that knew this existed were people who knew people in the in the commercialization office at MIT. So uh, so it makes lots of sense. That's just an example of the importance of networks, and that's true in all aspects of life. That if you want to understand problems, you want to understand interesting solutions to problems. You need to have a broad network. I was teaching um, executives at a large pharmaceutical. They were stuck on a problem. And they were trying to solve a really um, important disease in the world. They were stuck in trying to come up with solutions for this disease. So I don't know anything about medicines. So why did they bring me in? Because they were stuck on their creativity. So I taught them the principles of networking. I asked them I asked the group, these group of world-famous scientists one simple question. How many of you, and this seems unbelievable in today's day and age, but this was about 10 years ago. So how many of you have someone in your network that is a computer scientist? So, so I'd like to know who in here has a close ties to someone who is a computer scientist, someone that does data science, not a single person. So these guys are all famous biologists. They all did lab research and they were the best in the world, literally the very best in the world at what they did. But because of that, who did they hang out with on weekends? Who did they go to conferences with? There were other biologists like themselves. They were great because they were so focused. But that focus really held them back. Because to really make progress in this disease, my belief was they needed to start using simulations and using data analysis of big data that maybe need to be scraped off the internet, and, and use that to find correlations that could then tell you where you should focus your lab studies. Because lab studies are slow and they're hard. So um, after that session, where I taught them lots of principles of creativity, that was just one of them, uh, several of these lab scientists came up to me and said, this is the single most important thing I learned this year. was the importance of my social network. And I said, I am really gonna go out and make I'm friends with people that are computer scientists. I really get out of my comfort zone and you know, draw from them because the computer scientists, the, the AI folks, they need to know what are the important problems out there they can apply their technology to. And medicine is super important. You can change a lot of lives. And so they're happy to have a friend that's a lab scientist. So this is an illustration of why networks are so important and why having a diverse network is so important. Now, when I teach students this, they think, okay I'm just going to strategically focus my network on my what I see as my needs in the future and my goals. And I tell them to do that. That's actually required for my class. You have to do that strategically. But the truth is, I also teach students that there are various characteristics of networks and these characteristics will predict the extent to which your network makes you more creative or less creative and, and more able to get things done or less able to get things done within a company. And these characteristics are things like density, network density, this is the extent to which people in your network know each other. Network diversity, the extent to which people in your network are um, different, different from each other and different from you. And so um, these characteristics, and of course there's network size, These three characteristics will help determine the extent to which your network makes you as a human being more creative and more innovative. So that is, if the people you interact with every day are all similar to you, you're an echo chamber. It means you're hearing the same things every day. You're hearing things you already know, things you already believe. If the people that you talk to are all similar to each other and all know each other, they're all telling you the same thing, they come from the same backgrounds.
0: What other characteristics for teams are important for growth?
1: Great, I'm really glad you asked me that question. So we did a a randomized control trial in Peru, which is the most uh, scientifically sound kind of test you can do on new ventures, where we trained them with different kinds of uh, management training to see which one had the biggest impact. And for new ventures, we found that one of the most important aspects of an entrepreneurial team is what's called specialization. So also in the test, or in the research I did on the internet sector, looked at the same principle and asked the question, of these teams that were founded to to, um, exploit internet internet opportunities, to what extent were the teams specialized? That is, various members of the teams have particular jobs and there are very clear job descriptions of what they will do in those jobs or in those tasks. So that was very um, Uh, predictive of growth in the internet sector, the ability of an internet, of a team in the internet sector to grow their revenues. So we also did this in Peru and we, we taught organizations that did not have organizational charts and job descriptions to simply do that. And we required them to do that and we made sure they did that so we know whether or not they did it before our training, and then we know whether or not they did it after our training. And we found very significant effects um, for the teams that do that. increase their growth rate by about, almost doubled it frankly, like 20, 30%. So it's uh, really important because why? Specialization is a real law, it matters. That is, the extent to which you focus on one thing, doing one thing, the better you will be at doing that. So I'm not saying people shouldn't be cross trained, shouldn't help each other out in the various jobs, but I am saying the extent to which your scope of responsibilities and jobs is limited, you'll be better at those things. And you'll be you'll you'll be able to make decisions more quickly. If you have a scope of administration, that is if you know you're in charge of a certain set of things and you've been given the responsibility by the CEO or by the rest of the team of making decisions about that scope without having to consult everybody else, that's super important. So that will help your growth a lot because it also allows for individual creativity. It allows individuals to exploit their own best attributes to get things done. Specialization is super important which means having a job chart, an organization chart with a detailed description, about what you're supposed to do, but also what things you can make decisions about without necessarily getting everybody else to agree with you first. Mm -hmm. So decisions made by consensus always are better than decisions not made by consensus. But consensus requires lots of time and lots of effort, so there's a cost of coordination. So um, when you're trying to grow quickly, you want to try to create an organization or a team where not everything is done by consensus, but certain people have particular areas of responsibility, and they can move forward in those areas as fast as they are able, not being held, up, held back by other people's um, responsibilities or timing. And so that increases the speed of movement of the firm. So again, um, having a clear set of responsibilities, an org chart with descriptions, and moving away from a uh, decision-making style based on consensus to one based on job descriptions and job requirements. So still big decisions should be made by consensus so you build the right kind of culture and where, so everybody can be committed to the same long-term goals of the firm. But you need to get into a place where short-term small decisions can be made every day without consensus.
0: So there you have it, my interview with Wesley Sein, professor and founding director of Cornell University's Institute for Entrepreneurship and Innovation on the importance of networking, using organizational charts to divide up responsibilities, and pulling together a diverse team. Until next time, keep trying to build a diverse team, network, and prepare yourself so you can make a 100x difference in the world.